Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode in which you can get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about these news. So to start off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what's happened in AI last week. And we'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our hot takes. Hello and welcome. This is Daniel Bashir here with Skynet Today's Week in AI. This week, we'll look at how AI is helping with wildfires, regulatory standards, and how AI might help restore creativity to the game of chess. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past week, You've seen the orange photos of California and are probably predicting the apocalypse, just as I am. As California copes and wildfires cause evacuation orders in multiple West Coast states, PG&E Corp and other major utility companies are investigating how AI might help. The Wall Street Journal reports that they're deploying drones and using computer vision to spot potential equipment issues that might be the cause of some fires. AI and drones are not being used to manage or combat the current fires, but the utilities say these technologies do help with monitoring their systems. While AI solutions are likely to be a band-aid that will only temporarily help a massive problem with multiple causes, including climate change, it is comforting that some help may be on its way. The worst thing an AI that fails to detect equipment issues could do is simply not make the situation any better. But if AI being used in areas like healthcare doesn't do its job, that failure could have devastating consequences. It doesn't help that many people who develop and sell AI systems used in areas from healthcare to hiring overhype the abilities of their systems without putting the necessary effort into testing those abilities. At least in healthcare, experts are heeding the warning that poor quality research is abundant. The Guardian reports that an international team of experts has launched a set of guidelines under which clinical trials involving AI will be expected to meet a stringent set of criteria before being published. By standardizing evaluation and imposing high standards, the guidelines aim to make sure AI systems are safe and effective for use in healthcare settings. Another area of AI where negative impacts are clear is facial recognition. The United States isn't the only country where facial recognition is beginning to be used extensively. In China, the technology has been used in the persecution of the Uyghur population, although China has continued to deny the claims. Reuters reports that IBM wants the United States to avoid helping repressive regimes by imposing export limits on facial recognition systems likely to be used in mass surveillance systems, racial profiling, or other human rights violations. IBM advocates for limiting exports of one-to-many systems that can identify dissidents in a crowd or surveil citizens, and restricting access to online image databases for training facial recognition systems. More benign uses, such as facial identification systems that allow users to unlock their phones, are not an issue. While IBM has become serious about calling out facial recognition, the company has dabbled in many areas throughout the years. Decades ago, an IBM supercomputer named Deep Blue beat world chess champion Garry Kasparov in a famed series of games that signaled AI's transformative potential. By now, computers have also mastered the even more complicated game Go, after DeepMind's algorithm defeated world champion Lee Sedol, motivating him to retire from the game. 
Part of the magic has been that these algorithms sometimes employ strategies and make moves no human would even consider. Former world chess champion Vladimir Kromnik partly blames computers for making competitive chess less creative, as players spend half their games reciting memorized moves suggested by their computers. Wired reports that Kromnik has recently teamed up with DeepMind to restore that creativity. Kromnik has been leading AlphaZero, a more flexible and powerful successor to the AlphaGo algorithm that coaxed Lee into retirement on adventures through multiple variations of chess. Now that machines are unbeatable, Kromnik's work may just bring back some creativity to chess and even encourage humans to work together with their overpowered adversaries. That's all for this week's news roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events with Andre and Sharon. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a bit for a more laid-back discussion of this news by two AI researchers. So first, I'm Sharon, a third-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis. And with me is my co-host... I am Andre Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab, advised by Silvio Sorese. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation, which involves a lot of reinforcement learning. And Sharon, this week, we are going to do something a little unusual, I think. We're going to start not with a piece of news. We're going to get to it in a bit, listeners. <laughs> but there's something really pressing we need to discuss first mm-hmm. that uh, has to do with AI researchers. And in fact, it has a lot to do with Andrew Ang, your advisor, Sharon. Indeed, indeed. A hero of deep learning. <laughs> a hero of deep learning, exactly. And that's what we're talking about a blog post from Professor Zachary Lipton titled Hope Returns to a Machine Learning Universe, in which we get to see all the various heroes of deep learning, or at least some notable heroes of deep learning, with their superhero alter egos. So there's actual drawings of these researchers as uh, superheroes with capes and everything. And they are themed around their research. So Andrew Ang is one of the superheroes. He is uh, has a cape, has a little infinite symbol. It's and, a Sarah symbol, actually. <laughs> oh, because, yeah, yeah. And he is, uh, what, Captain Mook or something like that? Because he started massively online uh, classes as um, his point. So very important to actually look up this blog post to know what's going on in AI, hope it turns to a machine learning universe. I know I read all of it and got a big kick out of all the uh, superheroes. How about you, Sharon? Yeah, um, it was pretty funny, especially if you zoom in and you realize like, I think they photoshopped people's faces a little bit onto there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, those are it looks the real faces, yeah. It's a little bit, I would say, but it's it's pretty funny. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Feifei's there, Anima's there, Alan Lacoon's there, you know, the whole shebang, Judea. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, some of the big names for sure. And I also quite like their creative naming that they have. So uh, for Yan Lacoon, they have Captain Convolution, which is a very catchy name, I would say. <laughs> 
So yeah, I, you know, really fun blog post, not news, but something that if you're interested in AI, you should probably check out. Do you have a favorite one, Andre? You know, I, I really have to go with Captain Convolution. I think both in terms of the image and the naming, it's, it's quite delightful. Is your favorite your advisor or is it someone else, Sharon? <laughs> Am I allowed to say someone else? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I have to say that I really like uh, one of the super villains or paranormal sightings, they call it. Dagman. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, who, uh, he's the superhero's most vocal detractor, apparently. And rumor has it, he scaled the ladder of causation, acquiring the ability to intervene on arbitrary facts in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought this would be Schmidhuber, but it, I'm pretty sure it's Judea instead. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And on to the news, perhaps. Uh, The first article is titled California Utilities Hope Drones and AI Will Lower Risk of Future Wildfires. And this is in the Wall Street Journal. Um, And certainly wildfires have been ablaze on the West Coast, uh, especially in California. It's been awful. And PG&E has um, been under some fire, pun intended, I suppose, um, for for making it worse than, than it could be. Um, and that this will, and I think something to stress that perhaps isn't in the article necessarily, um, but that we talk about a lot in the climate change community is that this not only, this is not only climate change hurting us, but with more of this, this will also hurt climate change. It will exacerbate it too. Um, so yeah, it's a, a bad vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So I, I found this quite cool. Uh, I guess the article is broadly talking about how uh, drones equipped with AI, so computer vision, will be able to inspect power lines and how, um, yeah, you, PG&E could, for instance, predict how transmission lines would handle high wind events. Uh, will will uh, power lines break? Will there be fires in certain areas? You can use AI to predict that as well. Um, and I think if I understand correctly with climate change, we'll get more of these sort of outlier, uh, wind and other kind of weather events that are kind of extreme. So we'll need to be better at handling and predicting them. And it sounds like here, there are people working on it and it's actually happening in industry. Uh, with your work on climate change, Sharon, I know you have some exposure. So are people doing more sort of large-scale predictive models over multiple decades or years? Or is there also work that you're aware of that has to do more with individual extreme events uh, like sort of fires as we get now? Uh, So I definitely know people who are working on wildfire prediction or like at least progression, I think, uh, is a huge one because there's data to monitor where the smoke is going. Uh, I think it definitely work definitely spans from things like these natural disasters to other sorts of things. Like I'm also uh, predicting solar radiance in various places to help with bringing more clean energy into the world, like solar, uh, solar in general. Um, So I would say that working on climate change is a very big area of both um, 
mitigation, so mitigating uh, climate change as well as adaptation. And those are often two very big areas that are talked about. And I would say this is largely um, hopefully some mitigation, but also uh, a lot of adaptation as well. You know, what do you do after something like this happens? Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like hopefully this technology will enable us to some degree know how bad things will be ahead of time, but also then kind of inspect and respond better. Yes. Um, so cool to hear about this application of AI for sure. Yes, definitely. And on to our next topic, which is, uh, let's say, a little more funny, a little less serious. Uh, it has to do with an article published in The Guardian last week titled, A Robot Wrote This Entire Article, Are You Scared Yet? And of course, it is dealing with GPT-3, OpenAI's recent uh, very hyped uh, output, which can be used to write articles. You can condition it to basically pick a topic and it can continue from some starting point and write a bunch of stuff. So The Guardian kind of uh, got in touch with some student and why people were a bit angry at this article is they made the article be on the topic of sort of the AI trying to convince um, people that it's not a threat. So they're playing on sort of people's fears already. And then even though they titled it a robot word to this entire article, it turned out that they edited out kind of the bad bits of GPT-3 that showed that the algorithm is quite imperfect and does produce nonsense and made it seem very coherent and pretty much, you know, uh, put together the good bits and took out the bad bits. So even though the title is a robot word to this entire article, are you scared yet? Uh, the implication there seems to be that AI wrote it, but um, in fact, the, the bad bits were taken out and a human was involved in editing it. So I'm curious, Sharon, uh, yeah, did you follow the story at all? And do you think it's a big deal that they sort of misrepresented things or is it kind of not worth paying attention to? I think it's interesting because it's the whole fake news feeling, right? Um, and I thought it was kind of a spicy title since uh, it didn't just say a robot wrote this entire article. Are you scared yet? It says, are you scared yet, human? <laughs> it's like very um, spicy. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I do think there will be increasing issues with fake news. Um, I think humans are already very good at generating this ourselves um, and powered by something that could generate things much more quickly it yeah i could see this becoming a big issue and yeah the funny thing is um they pointed out there's editing right at the very end of the article which is why people sort of got angry and then a few days later they put out an op-ed titled how to edit writing by robot a step-by-step -step guide where they were kind of defensive and were saying oh we do this we always edit so it wasn't misrepresenting things and so on. But um, I mean, they say in this op-ed that typically we saw long sections of clean linear writing, which could be printed with minimal editing, followed by long sections of gibberish and smart starting word salad. <laughs> so they just took out the bad stuff, left in the good stuff, and then titled the thing, a robot wrote this entire article, are you scared yet? You know, to me, it seems very blatantly obvious that they were not only doing clickbait, but misrepresenting what AI can do for, you know, non-experts and, you know, implying that there should be some amount of being scared in the title. So I think it's, it's pretty, I'm pretty annoyed myself as someone who sees these sorts of things. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's the extent of word salads, you know, because I'm sure my stuff needs to be edited a ton too. So, <laughs> yeah, I I'm not sure if I uh, I don't think I have a really strong opinion on this to be honest. Yeah, I think it's to some extent not worth worrying about, but it is kind of a funny thing that this whole thing happened. Actually, there was an article in the Next Web titled "The Guardian's GPT-3 Generated Article Is Everything Wrong with Media Hype." <laughs> I, I do sense that it, they're just trying to get hype, so mm-hmm. like, <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. whoopsie do. Clickbait with AI, which. I know. You would, you would hope a guardian would be above that, I guess, but. No one's above clickbait. No one. <laughs> so the next article, uh, still by the guardian, but hopefully less clickbaity, is AI standards launched to help tackle the problem of overhyped studies. Well, that's ironic. Um, <laughs> Uh, And so AI standards have been launched to um, help, especially, I believe, in the healthcare system. And I think this is really important. And um, one of my friends actually was the one who really led a lot of this. And this is just super important work to standardize a lot of uh, AI work in the healthcare space, especially during COVID times. There's just been an absurd amount of claims being made, um, even before COVID, of course. Uh, And so this will be really important moving forward and i think it'll continue to evolve and grow and there'll be con- there will be continued uh kind of revisions of this but this is a very important this is a very important um mm-hmm. yeah for sure um this is interesting because it was published simultaneously in bmj nature medicine and the lancet digital health and uh it's interesting because we have many headlines coming out all the time about some AI system outperforming uh, doctors at various tasks. And um, in this article, it says that if you look at 20,000 of these studies, so there was already someone looking at it, and less than 1% of the studies followed these or similar guidelines. And often, you know, when a paper comes out, problems have been found. So... As you say, quite important, hopefully, you know, will be adopted by practitioners and researchers and leads to better progress, better research. Yeah, what's interesting is that I actually talked to several of the authors before this came out about what they thought of model cards and what they thought about, you know, guidelines in general. And they say they said they felt like it was insufficient, but they couldn't talk about what they were working on. So it's kind of cool to see this. Um, And I'm really glad that the team that has put this together, there are a bunch of healthcare uh, people on it as well as um, machine learning experts on it so I think it it was very good that it was simultaneously published as well as a way to really say hey this is what this field cares about um, yeah wholeheartedly it would be like ICML iClear NeurIPS kind of all saying you know this is this is the new standard of how we're going to do things it's a pretty strong um, claim and a resounding one that everyone will hear Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool to see this area of AI sort of maturing and, and getting more grounded and good practices. 
And next, we can talk on a pretty unrelated topic from uh, Reuters. We have an article, IBM says U.S. should adopt new export controls on facial recognition systems. So IBM has already uh, made some news by being the first company to publicly state they won't sell facial recognition technology. And this article is a pretty short kind of description of how Christopher Padilla, IBM's vice president for government and regulatory affairs, told Reuters that uh, the U.S. government should focus on these sort of systems where you can identify dissidents of a crowd or do mass surveillance, and that there should be limits on export of this technology to other states that might misuse them. So kind of interesting, and uh, certainly we're seeing more of a competitive development in AI technology on a national scale. I feel a little weird about it because I'm not sure how much you can actually limit, you know, exports beyond maybe data. Uh, how about you, Sharon? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that IBM is thinking about this or someone is thinking about this. Um, I, yeah, I, I also find it quite interesting that this is something they're focused on. But Christopher Padilla, who's uh VP of Government and Regulatory Affairs at IBM uh, f was formerly in the U.S. Department of State working on the Export Administration. Um, so that's quite interesting. And I believe that it was actually under George W. Bush. And I guess it kind of makes sense that IBM is thinking about this then. Um, and uh, yeah, it's true. It's kind of a way I, I think people have talked about the U.S. being imperialistic or something. And I guess this kind of aligns with that as well. Um, in a sense, it it's trying to disable a certain type of technology from from harming other people in the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I guess it's we'll see. Yeah. Uh, IBM said the Commerce Department should control export of both high-resolution cameras used to collect data and the software algorithms used to analyze and match the data against a database of images and argued that uh, the Commerce Department should limit the ability of certain foreign governments to obtain the large-scale computing components required to implement an integrated facial recognition system. Sounds a bit hopeful that you can actually do this, especially given... If these are not sort of specialized technologies for facial recognition, you use normal computers. But I suppose given that there are misuses of facial recognition around the world, it will be interesting to see if something like this happens. Right. Basically, what is the extent to regulation both internally in, within this country and also how it affects uh, other countries? I think it is interesting, too. Uh, I'm not, I'm, quite frankly, I'm not sure where it'll go. I, I know that China will probably continue on with what they're doing, regardless of what the U.S. does. Um, so it's it's hard to limit it entirely uh, unless, I guess, everyone in the world somehow agrees to something. I guess the, the nuclear stuff, people have silently agreed to not completely destroy each other. Yeah, well, let's hope uh, the superheroes with deep learning can save us and... <laughs> actually make sure the technology is not misused oh, man. okay and putting the faith there and uh with that thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of skynet today's let's talk ai podcast you can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com 
Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show. Be sure to tune in next week. week. <laughs>